You're listening to the Pastor Moats Podcast. All right, we are in this series called Striving Together, what teamwork looks like in the local church. And Acts chapter 19 is our text passage for this. And I'm just going to read the first and the last verse. Paul here, and it says in verse 8, and he went into the synagogue, and remember that was his custom, that was his manner, and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God, teaching them the truth of the Word of God, the truth about how the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment, perfect fulfillment of all of those messianic prophecies that were given throughout the Old Testament. And uh, so then if we flip to that last verse, verse 20, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. And we asked this question to begin uh, this particular lesson last week, what is the cure for what ails our world today and what did we conclude? You remember? We got some good answers, but what, what is the real answer? Christians, exactly. Christians, born-again believers. We need revival, and that's what's going to make the difference. The word means to quicken, recover, repair, restore. And uh, again, that begins with God's people because obviously lost folks, they just need to be vived, right? They need to be quickened, period. Uh, They need a spiritual life. But many uh, believers have sort of been lulled to sleep, uh, maybe saved two years, five years, ten years, whatever, but sort of lulled to sleep, uh, maybe even moved into the category of a carnal Christian, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, maybe a lukewarm Christian, Uh, in Revelation chapter 2. So whatever the case may be, uh, the key is revival among God's people because the Lord Jesus came. He said that we might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And that word, remember that word abundantly means super abundant, just uh, overflowing and abounding with life. But I'm not sure that that describes us sometimes. Uh, saved, yes, but, but really living the superabundant life, a life that is different from uh, the world, I'm not sure. And so I think the key is revival. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people, we're the key, thy people may rejoice in thee. And so we were answering this question how do we experience this revival today that's going to uh, produce this abundant life in us and then touch those around us? And what, what can we glean from this particular passage of Scripture uh, before us in Acts chapter 19 that turned Ephesus upside down with revival? Well, we saw number one, revival occurs when the truth of God is preached. And we saw that in verses 8 through 10. Again, while we read verse 8, Paul going in the synagogue and for three months teaching and preaching the Word of God, which is always 
at the heart of genuine revival, the preaching and teaching of God's Word because revival is really a renewed obedience to the Word of God. That's what revival truly is. And many times folks uh, speak of revival in terms of of a mighty work of the Spirit of God. Yes, it is a mighty work of the Spirit of God, but what does the Spirit of God use? He uses the Word of God. And so uh, the Word of God is the key. It's, it's foundational in this. And it's always at the center of genuine revival. It's the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and working in our hearts and our lives. We had looked back a couple of chapters in Acts chapter 17, and Paul, as his manner was, his habit, his custom, he went in unto them, and he went into the synagogue, and three days, Sabbath days, reason with them out of the Scriptures. And then we see the same thing in Acts chapter 19. If we were talking about Acts chapter 17, that was in Thessalonica to the Thessalonians, and now uh, in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 and following. So that was his custom, that was his manner, and nearly every city was to preach the Word of God because it is the Word of God that is at the center of salvation and the center of genuine revival. So we said that First of all, the apostle gave a message of revelation in verse 8. He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, and that's what makes the difference, not human reasoning. That doesn't make any difference, but what makes the difference is divine revelation, and that's what Paul was doing in the synagogue. He was sharing the revelation of, of God that in fact the Lord Jesus, as I mentioned a moment ago, He is the fulfillment of all those messianic prophecies that all the prophets throughout the Old Testament era was preaching of and promising would come. So it was a message of revelation and we we just noted how that Paul spake boldly. Why? Because he had the truth. And you and I, I think, sometimes are, are, are too shy and maybe too sheepish when it comes to our sharing, but we have the truth, and we should speak boldly as well. By the way, we looked at some examples of the early church, and that was sort of a mark of the early church. They, they spoke the Word of God with boldness, and again, because they knew that they had the truth. People today just like people back in Ephesus and back in Thessalonica and back in this day in which we're studying, people today, they need to hear the Word of God. They need to know about the revelation of God from Christians. That's how they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it from those of us who have the truth. And so it's up to us to share it with our family and with our neighbors and with our co-workers and our classmates to share it with the lost, to share it with the world. We saw that the audience had a mixed response. Now, not everybody's going to be thrilled when you share the gospel with them and you share the truth of God's word with them. And it says in verse 9, 
when divers were hardened, divers, many different ones, a lot, a lot of different people, uh, they, didn't, they didn't receive the revelation of God. It says, and believe not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. So you might uh, not only have those who reject the truth, but they, they might get nasty about it. Uh, they might get very contrary about it. Uh, I, I haven't witnessed that personally very often. I think that's still, even in our day, a rare thing and uh, something that we we don't normally have to uh, to deal with or face, but uh, that certainly could be the case. Most of the time for us, you just have folks who are still kind of polite, but they just don't respond or they don't take another step. But usually folks are, for the most part, uh, cordial and kind and friendly and, and, uh, and, and not too uh, contrary. But that could happen. It happened to Paul here. It happened to the Lord Jesus, right? So not only did folks reject Paul's preaching and teaching, and, and Paul, if anyone uh, was gifted, Paul was, but uh, not everyone received the preaching and the teaching of the Lord Jesus, did they? And so when, uh, when you and I present the truth, uh, we can't expect to always be uh, received, right? Or for folks to always uh, receive, readily receive the message. Uh, so don't be discouraged. Sometimes you, you might have a negative reaction. But here's the key. Some people will believe. And, and that should encourage us to share the word. And Paul, as his manner was, and this is back uh, to the Thessalonians, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Out of the script, we, we teach the Scripture, right? Not tradition and not religion. And as I mentioned a moment ago, not our human reasoning and not our philosophies and our thoughts, but the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you, is Christ. He is that Christ, the promised one, the long-awaited one, the one the Old Testament pointed to and promised and prophesied of and pictured and portrayed. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. We pointed out last week what was Paul doing here. Well, if you read that, he was preaching the gospel. That's what he was doing. Uh, how that Christ must needs suffered, risen again, from the dead, he is Christ, he is the Savior, that's the gospel. Well, now note, some of them believe, see, and that ought to encourage us. And consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude believed, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. That means many, many of them believed, and that should encourage us. And then we saw that Asia was miraculously reached, and uh, we pointed out and put up the map last week that, that most likely that's where the seven churches that uh, are addressed in Revelation 2 and 3, that's where they all got their start from this uh, account right here. And Paul's preaching and sharing the gospel. Think of, think of the fruit that came forth from this. And again, that should encourage us to be faithful to share the Word of God, to share the truth and to share 
the gospel. So verse 10, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And that's an amazing statement in and of itself. It says, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Remember this quote I shared last week from Leonard Ravenhill. Many present-day Christians seem to have experienced three stages. Condemnation, yeah, we, we realized at some point we were, we were sinners or separated from God by our sin. And then salvation, we were gloriously saved. But unfortunately, if we're not very careful, we can move into this third realm of stagnation. And of course, that's what the Lord Jesus was dealing with the church of Laodicea about this matter of, of stagnation and becoming lukewarm. What are we supposed to be doing? Well, the Lord Jesus, after He was risen from the grave and right before He ascended back to heaven, He, he tells us exactly what we're supposed to be doing as His disciples and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And, and so uh, Luke tells us very clearly, this is exactly what we are supposed to be doing. And of course, that's the great commission that Christ gave us, that He gave the disciples and gave the church. So. Uh, let's move on to uh, point number two, main point number two. Revival occurs when the power of God is present. So let's look at verses 11 and 12 here. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Saul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out from them. And so God wrought these special miracles, and God's power was manifested in a very special way. Now, this is going to go back this first statement and review what I just said in the first main point. Revival begins with what? The preaching of God's truth, right? The preaching of God's truth. When the power of God's Word, and this is what we alluded to just a moment ago, talking about the power of God and talking about the Spirit of God, when the power of God's Word is combined with the power of His Holy Spirit, something special is guaranteed to take place. And that's exactly what we see here in Acts chapter 19. Now, some people, they, they don't understand dispensations. And so they look at a passage like this and they say, well, why, why is this type of thing uh, not going on today? We have to understand until the New Testament scriptures, the New Testament canon, we call it, was completed, God used these special sign gifts to confirm the authenticity of the apostles' message because you didn't have the completed Word of God. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven 
and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and here's the key, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. (laughs) I like how he closes that, confirming the word with signs following. And so uh, that's what was taking place uh, in this particular uh, transitional period. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 8, Charity never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. And again, tongues was another one of those sign gifts to, uh, to authenticate the message of, of the, the disciples. Okay, uh, Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Now we have the completed canon of the Scripture. We have the perfect Word of God. We don't have sign gifts anymore. And so we don't rely on those things for our ministry today. They have ceased, but we do absolutely rely on the same power of God working in us and working through us, the the power of the Spirit of God applying the Word of God to hearts and to lives. We still absolutely uh, rely on that same power, spiritual power. And so we must rely on and plead for the mighty power of God if we're to experience revival. And then God's power was mimicked. It's an interesting uh, passage of Scripture here. Let's pick it up in verse 13. And the Scripture says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews' exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth, And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And so here's these seven brothers of this man, this Jew, Sceva, and for personal gain, they were trying to mimic uh, what God was doing through the apostle Paul. And uh, they are identified here as vagabond Jews exorcists. What that means, vagabond Jews, is that they traveled from place to place, and what they were doing was going wherever they could uh, make money. That, that was the idea here. They're using gimmicks and they're using ploys for money. They had no relationship with Christ. That's pointed out if you, if you were uh, sort of keying in as I read the passage. They said, this, this Jesus whom Paul preacheth. What's that tell you? They didn't know the Lord. They had no relationship with him. They just all they knew is this this uh this is someone that that Paul there is 
preaching in His name and teaching in His name and, and uh, somehow getting these miraculous results. And so they thought, boy, here this must be the magic formula. We can just claim this name that Paul is using, uh, the name of Jesus. But you see, again, they didn't have a relationship with him. And so that's the ongoing method of religion today, using his name without a personal relationship with him. You think of uh, many, many religions and cults today. You would find the name of Jesus in their doctrinal statement even. And uh, different, different things, different lingo, different language uh, that you and I would identify with as believers, and yet these people do not have a personal uh, relationship with the Lord. Acknowledging the name of Jesus is not salvation, okay? So, uh, in fact, uh, what about the devils? They acknowledge the name of Jesus. They even believe, it says, but they're not saved. They don't accept Christ as their personal Savior. And James tells us, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Well, the devils also believe. They acknowledge that uh, there's a man named Jesus. They know who he is, and they tremble, but they are not saved. So uh, salvation does not come from our own devices. Revival does not come from our own devices. That's what these seven sons were trying to do. Uh, They were trying to, by their own devices, bring about a desired result. But we can't manipulate people that way into following God. We can't bring about revival that way. We can't conjure it up with emotional stories and programs and gimmicks. That will not bring revival. That doesn't mean that um, people won't be temporarily stirred by some of these things. Oh, they will be. I've been in, I've been in meetings where people were, were stirred this way. But uh, when, there's, when there's a real revival, people are moved beyond being stirred. They are moved and compelled into a changed life. And so uh, many times people have services and they are emotionally moved and they're emotionally stirred and they think something has happened. Uh, well, the only thing that's happened has been an emotional stirring and there's there's no resulting, uh, lasting uh, life changed, but it's often misinterpreted as revival. People think a, a series of meetings is revival. That's not revival. Revival comes when God's Spirit, in a special way, applies God's Word and, and our hearts are are, are changed and our lives are changed and it's something that, that uh, lasts. It's, it's more than a, a meeting at church. Again, we, it's not something we can do uh, and, and accomplish through our own devices. Uh, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. 
And so what was the Lord telling them? The Lord was saying, you know what? You're not going to be able to accomplish this. You can't do it. Humanly speaking, you just don't have what it takes. Now, you can accomplish some temporal things. You can get people riled up, stirred up, emotionally uh, moved, but that's not real change. That's not real revival. It's not going to be by might nor by power. That is by your power. That's what, that's what they were being told. It's not going to be by your might, your ability, your programs, your schemes, your gimmicks. That is not going to do it. That's not going to accomplish it. But just the opposite, the antithesis of what has just been spoken which is human effort and human wisdom and human ability, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So this has to be something that, that is spiritual, not something that is, is coming from a humanistic uh, approach. The uh, man who wrote this series that we're following along called Striving Together. His name is Tim Christensen. And he said this, We must resist the temptation to adopt the surface-level appearance we equate with revival. Okay, And again, uh, I've heard people say, and I've actually I've been at a service like this one or two over, over my years, but I had a, a friend that I grew up with the other day uh, write it, and uh, Jennifer shared the Facebook post with me, but she said, boy, what a, what a service we had at church this morning. It, it, was, it, it, it got on such that the preacher never even preached. You're thinking? You're thinking? You see, they thought that something wonderful happened because everybody was emotionally charged and emotionally stirred. But I can tell you this, the Word of God wasn't preached. Not much happened. Not much happened. Some people were emotionally stirred, but apart from the Word of God, it wasn't revival. I can promise you that. It wasn't revival. And so we've got to resist the temptation to adopt the surface-level appearance we equate with revival, which neglects the private, personal revival that is so needed. I'm telling you, this is what happens. Have revival services at church, which I'm all for. Not against that. I'm all for that. And, and people get excited and whatever. And that's good. I'm not, again, I'm not opposed to any of those things. But if it doesn't move to this, this personal level, this personal revival, then all we had was people getting excited. And you know what? It's going to die out about the next week. And there's not going to be any real revival, any real change. So a sprucing up of the exterior is not revival. What is that? Well, actually, it's just hypocrisy. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within. That's where real revival takes place. It's going to start in here, in my life, in your life. And then we'll really see revival at church. But it has to start in our individual hearts and lives. <clears throat> you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And so we've got to make sure that it's not just an external um, stirring of things or changing of things. It's got to be internal. It's got to be within. And if it is, boy, will the external ever be affected. Boy, it, it certainly will. So here, here you have these seven sons, seven sons of Sceva, this Jew, and seven brothers, and what ended up happening is they were embarrassed, they were, they were humiliated because uh, uh, rather than them, by using the name of Jesus, casting a demon out of someone, the demon obviously knew that they, they had no relationship with Jesus Christ. There was no power there. So what did the demon do? Overcame them. Overcame them. And so again, just acknowledging the name of Jesus, that's, that's not where the power's at. You've got to have a personal relationship with him. But that's sort of a picture of man trying to use human efforts to accomplish something spiritual, and it doesn't work. So just like those seven brothers were surprised uh, and, and humiliated, that's, what, that's where we're going to be if we, if we simply rely on our might and our power, our devices, our programs, our ideas, our human reasoning, well, then we shouldn't be surprised when our own efforts come up short. Here's what we need, and we'll get there, Lord willing, next week. I have to stop. So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. So we're talking about Christians, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. That, that's mercies that come from the, from the soul, the heart, the deepest part of you, genuine, real, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. This is when we're going to have revival right here. This is when we're going to have revival when this happens within our hearts. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, that agape love, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, <coughs> Excuse me. to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now, Note what's in the middle of all of this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the key. In all wisdom, 
how to make you wise, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. That's not a gimmick right there. That's real revival. When we get there, and that has to be individual in each of our hearts. That's a challenge to each Christian individually. Now is the time to correct the slack in our faulty obedience and slim sacrifice. Boy, think about that. The time has come when judgment must begin at the house of God. Remember we answered that question, what's the cure to to all this that, that ails society, Christians, believers? Well, that's what he was talking about. The time has come when judgment must begin at the house of God. The painful fact is that the salt has lost his savor. Salt may lose its savor, but it does not lose its potency. When it ceases to heal, then it proceeds to corrupt. So the lukewarm church is a greater hindrance than the cold one. Boy, this this really hit me. Because every time, and I've preached it, I just, I just preached uh, at, at Berean Bible Church on the church of Laodicea and being lukewarm. And I've preached it here, and, and I might have preached at the men's conference. I don't know. But I always struggle with that where, where the Lord said, I wish you were cold or hot. How could it be better to be cold? I think he, I think he figured it out here. Because when we're lukewarm, we do more damage than, than if we didn't try to name the name of Christ, but we name the name of Christ and have a terrible testimony and live like the world, and people say, well, I don't want any part of that. But this hit me about the salt. And of course, I, Brother Mike, I thought about my poor old Trump. The salt, and I thought, wait a minute. This is it. This is right because I use salt on my food and that puts good flavor. But I put salt out there on my truck and now it's just it's barely hanging on by a thread. It's all rusted out. And I thought, boy, that's it. It doesn't lose its potency. When it ceases to heal, it proceeds to corrupt. And I think that's what's going on in so much of modern-day Christianity. I often am asked to pray for the healing of the nation. No, I'm praying for the healing of the church. Then the healing of America and other nations will follow. As the church goes, so goes the world. And I'll close with this slide. O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive thy church with life and power. O breath of life, come, cleanse, renew us, and fit your church to meet this hour. Revive us, Lord. Is zeal abating? That means diminishing, decreasing. Is zeal abating while harvest fields are vast and white? Revive us, Lord. The world is waiting. Equip your church to spread the light. Father, we pray you'd help us tonight work in our hearts, beginning in my own heart. 
that we would move past this casual Christianity, this, this slim sacrifice. And Father, we'd truly, truly have revival in our hearts such that those around us would be affected and impacted, such that those around us would see the Lord Jesus in us and through us and experience thy power and thy word and thy spirit through us. Lord, I pray you'd bless our church. I thank you for our church. I pray that we'd grow stronger and more fruitful as the day of the Lord approaches. Father, give us a sweet time of prayer together now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.